This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Joelle Steinecker. And I'm Michael Saka. Today, we talked to Rob Mueller, the co-founder of FastMail. So what did you guys think of that 14 or 15 year journey that he just told us about? I think it's fascinating to hear about a company that's been around since 1999 in a space that's incredibly competitive. I think that they've They've hung in there for a long time, and it sounds like they've they've done great alongside some giants like Google, Yahoo, Hotmail. Michael, what do you think about the fact that they're based in Australia and um, have built up a company, you know, starting even in the first bubble? 
Yeah, I, I actually thought Australia was kind of the missing piece of the puzzle um, because when he talks about like the '99 and the dot com bust,、um, it's almost like he was watching it from a faraway hill because、um, it, it really didn't affect them in the way that it may have affected companies、um, here in in San Francisco、um, and in New York. So. I thought it was a big piece of the puzzle as to why they were able to to still exist 15 years later and build an amazing tech company. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's really interesting. So, let's get into the episode. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. Codeship makes continuous delivery simple and easy. Go to codeship.com/rocketship to get 20% off three months. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io/rocketship to start sending emails that convert. We'd also like to thank Envision App. Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. I can personally say I can't imagine delivering another design comp without it. Go to envisionapp.com/rocketship and sign up to get their starter plan free for 90 days. Tell us a bit about、uh, Fastmail. Well,、uh, we're an email provider.、Uh- Um, traditionally, we provided、uh, email services for、uh, individual customers, and、uh, over the years, we've kind of expanded that to include small businesses and target families. And、uh, in general, we're expanding that now to include general email, hosted email solutions for、uh, other providers.、Um, we've been around 15 years. We started in 1999 was when first code got written, and.、Um, It was myself uh, and uh, a guy called Jeremy Howard who、uh, started it, and、uh, look, I think at the time it, it felt,、uh, you know, like just before the dot com bust happened,、um, which was an odd time, but.、Uh, Part of it that was a bit different was I think we were kind of all isolated and distant from that. Was we're based in Melbourne, Australia, so you kind of heard news of what was happening overseas, but it all seemed far away.、Um, one interesting thing I think from the start was that、uh, you know this was a time when everything was free on the internet, just dot、uh, com boom one, and the idea of charging for something was、uh, you know very a service online was very. Odd idea, and I, Jeremy from the very start said, "Look, I want this to be a professional email service、um, that we charge for." And he said, "I think there's a market for、uh, an email service that just gets rid of all the ads and is fast and lets you do a power of stuff."、Um, he'd come from a background as a management consultant where he had to work on a lot of customer sites, and most email systems were terrible. And he tried to use Hotmail and stuff just to get work done, and it. Was slow and horrible, so he was kind of trying to、uh, scratch that itch thing, which I think is a classic startup、mm-hmm. uh, thing to do.、Um, I think in those days,、uh, the idea of what we did was actually pretty a bit out there. You'd call it bootstrapping these days. <laughs>、um, insofar as、uh, he put in his time, I,、uh, he put in his money, I put in my time for free to build the first thing, and I think a lot of、uh, friends and family thought. What the hell are you doing? Basically, you know, you're you're quitting your job、uh, just to go and build something. What you know, for whom?、Uh, the idea that you might charge for email on the internet seemed pretty weird in those days. So, was there anything actually scary about taking the leap? 
Look, in 1999, quitting your job and going, I have no source of income, I, uh, it was quite scary. But you know? beyond the idea, once you were, once you were rolling, um, were there there's still moments when you were like, I don't know, I, I'm going to go get a job? Well, when we weren't making any money at first, uh, a little bit, but... Okay. Not so much. Um, it's interesting, surprisingly little. I think once we got into it, and I think part of that as well is just having someone else there the whole time who goes, no, no, this will work. Don't worry. Okay. Um, I'm not naturally a risk taker person. Uh, I'm a highly risk averse person. So the idea that I actually kind of left and started a founder, uh, started a, founded a startup is kind of weird for me even. Um, and I would put it all entirely down to the other founder, Jeremy, who is the opposite of that, who is a highly not risk-taking person, mm-hmm. but he's the type of person who finds an idea, even if you know you think it's crazy, and just goes, no, nah, this is the best idea ever. This is fantastic. This will be a great business, you know, and can do that whole, you know, slight reality distortion field thing mm-hmm. and convince you that, this is the way you have to go. We must do this. It's clear. It's obvious. Blah, blah, blah. And um, I don't know if there's people out there who like the idea of starting a startup, but are risk averse. So just can't imagine themselves doing it. And I was going to suggest if you are one of those people that you try and find someone who is that founder type who just believes in something so much they can convince you to take the leap basically (laughs) Um, because that's what happened to me because I am naturally a bit more skeptical about things and I'm of the yeah not sure could be maybe and I really needed that kind of person who was like no best idea ever let's do it Um, once we were there uh, I'm a real follow-through kind of person. Like, I am tenacious and will just keep plowing away at something to make sure it happens, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking that leap, uh, I would have found very hard on my own. I would never have done it, I don't think. So, it took a little while to build. I think partly the technology wasn't really as quick and easy in those days yeah. uh, there wasn't nearly as much off the shelf stuff that you could just get together so um we uh yeah probably you find over- your first customer ah it was a lucky discovery there was a website called email discussions.com i think in those days it was actually email addresses.com and it was a forum as a sub part of that site which uh, would you believe was a I guess, like, there's a niche for everything on the internet, isn't there? But this uh, website is people discussing email systems and services. So there was a lot of new systems just appearing around that time. Uh, It's weird. Uh, Like a number of things, you know, in the early 2000s, there were new web hosts, uh, web hosters appearing all the time. Like, they'd, they'd come out of nowhere, go, oh, we're a web hoster, and then suddenly get massively overloaded and people would move on to the next one because the the cost to entry was so low. Everyone thought they could just set up their own web hoster. It was kind of the same thing with email in the very early 2000s. There were new email hosters appearing every, you know, few days, basically going, oh, 
oh, we're going to get into this email thing. Uh, you know, over the last 10 years, they've all basically shut down or amalgamated or something like that because hosting email is A, non-trivial. Making it best in class to compete with the big players is completely non-trivial. Uh, so most of those have basically gone. But because there was a lot of activity in that area at that time, you know, there was kind of a community who wanted to talk about it as well. And so we, um, I think, got first noticed there and we ended up, the, the guy who ran that site, Edwin, we kind of talked to him and said, well, can we have our own sub-forum? There was already one for another company called Runbox, which is a small Norwegian email company. So we got our own forum and so that kind of built a bit of a community there and, you know, these things kind of, I would say this is actually the history of fast mail growth. Um, over time, we've tried a whole number of different growth tactics, whether it's advertising or, you know, this or that. And uh, the biggest thing we find is it just appears to be word of mouth. Um, maybe this is quite specific to email and especially consumer level email, uh, which was has always been our big target. But uh, people treat recommendations from their friends vastly more uh, importantly than they they would just an ad or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, once we get a customer, we tend to keep them happy because we do a good job at what we do. And so those customers, some of our customers are incredibly passionate about us and say, oh, you guys are the best, You're just really good. And I think that then just, you know, whenever someone else has a problem with their email, you know, they just say, ah, oh, you should do use fast mail. You should use fast mail. They're our champions. And so that kind of feeds itself, I think. Um, so that's where most of our growth has been, is that word of mouth, I think. But the bootstrap bit or the, the, that real first bit came from uh, emailaddresses.com in the very early days. Um, wow, so, so it sounds like you guys built up kind of a passionate community, which was what helped you get through um, the noise, right? Or yeah. you didn't even care if there was noise. You guys had people that were already on your side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which does... Uh, is a good way to start, I think, um, especially for a consumer service. If you can get some people who are really passionate about you, uh, really worked for us in those early days. Um, I mean, it's weird to think that's well over 10 years ago. So I don't know these days. Uh, probably it's more about Twitter and things like that these days. Forums are so dead these days. But um, it's hard to tell. There's, there's still like, uh, you know... Uh, I don't know, is Google Groups really still going? Do people use it? Yahoo Groups? Are there groups of people who are interested in particular areas still kind of hidden away in those corners using those mailing lists? It definitely and stuff is like, like Quora. And, I mean, they literally are just traveling communities. They're all just a CRUD app, right? So it just depends where the people are and are talking. And I think you could find those anywhere. It really would depend on your app, though. Um, yeah. So... You guys had kind of a, a big change in 2010, right? You were acquired by Opera. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so in the lead up to that, I would say, um, you know, after the, the you know, startup and growth and we started charging and we were doing really well and then... Um, you know, things started to coast a bit with the company. We had, there was only three developers. Um, uh, the, the owners of the company were myself and three others. And the three others were um, more uh, 
involved in another business they were working on. So, uh, with three developers, it was enough to keep the service uh, going and slowly improving and adding features, but it didn't really give us enough uh, energy to make next big leaps, uh, which we really wanted to do. And we were lucky at that time that Opera approached us. Uh, they were interested in uh, email services. And we went and talked to them and I met a bunch of people over in Norway. And it felt like a really good fit. Um, Opera was still being run by their CEO, who was one of the technical founders. And the company was really engineering focused. Like you just felt that the whole culture of the company was all the engineers were running it and uh, you know the people there were great and it just felt like a really good fit so um uh, we were i was quite keen to you know uh, move on to the next uh, steps with what we could do and i didn't think we could do that with our existing uh, management and structure so um we all ended up agreeing to sell to Opera and uh, I think that was really good for everyone and Opera were absolutely fantastic to us I have to say. Uh, They saw the technology we had and the expertise we had in email and they saw what they wanted which is like we need to modernize the interface, we need better searching and I think I think conversations are great. So we want the, you know, fast searching, cross-folder conversations, a brand new Ajax interface. Here's three big goals to go for. Here's some money to hire some new people. Go away and do it. And they were very hands-off in that. They just knew, well, you guys seem to know what you're doing. Um, There's no need for us to micromanage. Sure, we'll have meetings to check progress and everything like that. But otherwise... You're the experts. You make it happen. And uh, that's what happened, basically. Nice. We hired a couple of really great people, um, which allowed us to get our team up, you know. And um, we went away and started working on these features. And um, it took a little while because you were rebuilding an awful lot of stuff. And some of it as well was lots of you know, uh, development work and just working out ideas like uh, how do we mesh, you know, uh, conversations, support across folders and, you know, should we go to full tags? Well, that would be a lot of change and, you know, making it all fit. There was a lot of technical issues that needed to be worked out and uh, we did and we, we, I think we came up with a really fantastic product. I think that's what really jump-started the product from where it had been, which was getting a bit long in the tooth by the end of the you know mm. 2010 um and in the last few years it's really allowed us to jump start to uh, i think a best in breed product and in fact i'm now happy to say i think it's actually one of the best e- the web client is one of the best email clients full stop out there that um, is, is awesome um did it ch- did it change the perspective of your family at all of what you were doing when you were acquired um not so much, I think, because we'd been running the business quite successfully for over 10 years. Okay. I think everyone had got over that, what the hell are you doing kind of <laughs> phase and like, ah, Fastmail seems to be doing fine and it's been running for 10 years and growing every year for 10 years. Maybe this isn't so crazy. And I think the world changed in that time as well, you know. Uh, the idea of successful internet companies became more mainstream and the idea of niche companies on the internet I think became more mainstream as well um, and the fact 
I think just the idea of tech in general became more mainstream. I don't know. You know, between yeah, yeah. 2000 and 2010, I, I think the world really changed its view on, you know, uh, well, you know, internet. This is a real business boom, here. Boom one was all a bit, I think people were all a bit, ah, uh, this is all magic, you know, it's not real. And then I think by 2010, it was like, no, this is real. It's that classic thing of everything was overestimated in the short term, but will be underestimated in the long term. Right, right. So um, 2013 comes around and there was some shakeup inside of opera. So tell us a little bit about what happened. So within Opera, there was a change in management happened and the uh, CEO who had been the founder, um, there was a change in the board and the new CEO came in and um, there was a, you know, a bit of a vision change within Opera and one of the things they had been doing was uh, services, was, uh, you know, a quite specific division and uh, I think the new CEO decided to kind of de-emphasize that and that was one of the reasons that uh, the community site, My Opera, went away and a number of other things like that. And as part of that, they decided that uh, email wasn't part of their strategic vision anymore. Um, and so they uh, wanted to <coughs> excuse me, uh, get, get rid of us, basically. And it's kind of, if, you, if you're streamlining a bit and you look at your divisions and you go, I've got this division halfway around the world doing email a service that we're not that interested in anymore. Yeah, okay, I can see that makes sense. Um, but fortunately, we were lucky enough that they decided uh, for various reasons that uh, they would sell it off and uh, sell it back to the staff in this case. So, um, given that I was the last one from the previous ownership, I kind of got together a number of the staff and we ended up negotiating with Opera a proposal on buying it back and that was agreed to. So, we were able to buy, you know, a subset of the staff were able to buy the company back from Opera um, with everything intact and all the intellectual property and uh, all the services and everything like that which uh, means that FastMail is now fully owned by the staff, which is a very interesting position to be in and a great position to be in, in fact. That's really interesting. Had you, before this happened, had you heard of a company ever buying back from someone that had acquired them? I'd never heard of the staff per se. You know, I'd heard of previous owners uh, using... A, whatever cash that had from the first buyer or, you know, raising capital from others, you know, uh, to to buy it back. But this one's quite an even buyback from the staff. It's not like there's a, a certain major owner per se, um, which means a lot of people are invested in it. Um, and it's, I think it's great for the company. It means that a lot of the, the, the people day-to-day working in the company are actually owners of the company and um yeah i i I, yeah i think it's a great position to be in it's a tech do we want to work on today kind of is is more the thinking which hasn't changed so yeah um yeah so something that i've noticed over the years back in the day at least when i was getting started around 2005 or so um you just throw email on your PHP server and it wasn't good 
really crappy webmail. It was unreliable and connecting to phones and everything sucked. And at some point in the past few years, it just became, or it seems like it's become the standard to throw it on Fastmail or Google Apps or another a provider that you actually pay for. Have you noticed that happening across the board and more people uh, actually seeking you out versus coming as a referral? Yeah. Um, I, I think just in general, the idea of outsourcing particular areas to experts is more and more mainstream. I mean, you see it with everything these days, like whether it's, you know, IRC rooms, you know, if you're, if you're a development group, you know, you tend to have an IRC room. Everyone used to run their own IRC server and now, you know, that's outsourced as well. You know, email is one of those things where you go, the basics are simple, but man, running the infrastructure complete end-to-end with all the bits and pieces and dealing with all the abuse and this and that ends up being incredibly complex and no one wants to spend their time doing that, you know. Uh, But it's the same these days with so many things, you know, servers. Who wants to run their own servers these days when you've got AWS, you know, I just fire up a new server or whatever, you know, or DigitalOcean. So much of that stuff is people are willing to accept more and more these days. I think there used to be a strong mentality, we need to do it all, you know, in-house control. But, you know, I think more and more people are like, uh, this isn't a core thing, you know, let's just get someone else who seems to know what they're doing, do it right. So what are your thoughts on the competition? Because you're competing with one of the biggest companies out there. Do you find yep. that, that that's holding you back or that it's helping you that you know more people are discovering hosted email through Google Apps and then looking for alternatives? Um, it's a bit of both. You know, Google are a fearsome competitor and Gmail is a fantastic product. Um, so in that respect, you know, you go, oh, that's hard to compete with one of the biggest companies. But another part is like they have put a lot of effort into convincing people to, you know, ditch the in-house server, just go completely cloud. And people are starting to buy that. Uh, that's great for us as well. Um, one nice thing about the email market is how huge it is. Like everyone has it, you know, it's not every business has it, every person in every business has it and generally every individual has their own individual account. So it's a huge market and you can, you know, you can make something out of that if you just even have a tiny percent of a percent of a niche of that market um which probably in the big picture is our size is pretty small still in the big picture but um i think what works in our favor again is uh once users change and start using us they're generally pretty passionate about us they go this is actually really good you know um I actually, again, you know, uh, feel that uh, our web interface is one of the best email clients I've ever used. And given I've lived in email clients every day for the last 15 years, um, I think that's a pretty nice thing to be able to say. And it's again, this is one of the things that, going back, you know, I think makes the staff really happy to come into work every day, just being able to show your product and go, I'm really proud of what we've built is a fantastic feeling. Um, you know, and we're expanding that out to add the services. I think the biggest thing that we were missing over the last couple of years is um, calendaring. 
And uh, we added that earlier this year. And I think for businesses, that was crucial. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that by now adding that, we can kind of start growing our business customers to the next level in size. Uh, because the number of times we had customers say, oh, we'd love to use you, but no calendaring is a deal breaker. Um, yeah, I think for consumers, not a huge issue. For businesses, huge Awesome. Well, where can we keep up with you and FastMail online? Um, best place is uh, two things. Our blog, blog.fastmail.fm, uh, gets posted regularly with a combination of either what's coming out, what we've done, and a mix of technical stuff as well. Um, sometimes we go into quite long technical posts explaining some stuff that we've built internally um, and Twitter which is currently FastMailFM or one word um, where yeah there's, it's a slower stream of posts but uh, yeah there's stuff there as well um, and always just go to our homepage I'm sure if you Google FastMail we'll come up first hopefully <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you can have a look at our site and uh, see what we do and uh, if you want a trial account you can try it out Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter. We're twice monthly. We send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today.